Hello there, and a very warm welcome to Just Add Beer, the podcast. My name is Nick White, and this is the story of when beer meets food and goes on a mini break to Cornwall. Following our passion for beer and food matching here at Sharps Brewery, my esteemed colleagues and great friends Rachel Williams and Ed Hughes wrote and edited a beer and food cookbook with recipes from chef friends we've met on our journey so far. Not content with this, and having regularly puppeteered our beer sommelier Ed into hosting secret bars and silent bistros, I've set him on a new challenge to let the real stars of the Just Add Beer cookbook tell their stories, share their recipe tips, and help listeners know how to just add beer. Armed with a phone and makeshift recording studio in his attic, Ed captured a feast for your ears. So, humour me, if you will. I'm going to take you on a five-course menu beer flight of conversation, and I'll be pouring you a virtual beer match for each course. So let's get started. Chef Alan Bird, years at the IB Soho House Group, personal chef for Lord Andrew Lloyd Webber. Um, literally, this man is a chef to the stars. Um, he did seven dishes in the Just Add Beer cookbook. Best shepherd's pie I have ever had, hands down. I haven't had one since, and I don't think I want another shepherd's pie unless Alan cooks it for me. Um, Alan Bird, you legend. How are you, mate? Hi, Ed. I'm very well, thank you. Good. And, um, wow, that's some introduction. <laughs> it's all right, mate. You, thank you. You're quite an illustrious career, Alan, and a bloody good chef as well. It's fantastic. Thanks for joining, mate. I really appreciate it. Um, Thanks for asking me, mate. Uh, as, as, I, um, as I said, you know, we did the cookbook, oh, launched it over a year ago, so December 2018. Had a wicked launch, um, and it is an absolute labour of love, you know, talking about beer and food. Um, and so I thought, why not get in touch with all the chefs who are in it? Um, I didn't expect many of the chefs to say, yeah, yeah, we'll do this. And everyone has. So this is brilliant. You're episode 11, <laughs> dude. Start off with the aperitif. Nice, light, sort of quick fire questions, Alan. Um, yep. What was the last thing you ate? Uh, last thing I ate, actually, was a scone. Excellent. Believe it or not. <laughs> um, one. With strawberry jam and Cornish clotted cream. Brilliant. Right, two tests for you then. One, you pass, because you called it a scone, because I'm also a scone person. Um, yeah. And I don't know whether to bring this up, because it could cause just disarray. I know what you're going to ask. Yeah. What, I know what you're going to ask. Which first, Alan? What What first? Jan first. Thank you very much indeed. You, uh, It's brilliant. We're going to carry on this interview, because you give me two very <laughs> correct answers. As a proud Cornishman. Um, uh, next one I know you're a big fan of music um, yeah if you were to cook for a band or artist who would it be and what would you cook mate um, I would cook for um, my childhood hero and uh, in fact it's his birthday today uh, Paul Weller excellent um, always been a big fan of Paul Weller when he was in the jam the style council and since then his solo career yeah um and I would cook whatever he wanted. <laughs> Excellent. Do you know what, Alan? Like, this is lovely um, because you, you don't, because you, we haven't actually released these podcasts yet. And like, I've, I've interviewed some great people, you know, and uh, I, I, I like the music side of things anyway. Red Hot Chili Peppers yeah. have come up twice with James Napp I'm and sure. John Walton. Yeah. 
And I know who I was going to mention now. Yes, Paul, Paul Ripley. Ripley. Yeah, I know we're both huge fans. Yeah, and we talk about it all the time. One of the things we've said is we must go and see Paul Weller together when all this, is, you know, is over. Yeah, and and that's big because Chelsea and Arsenal fans don't always get on, but to find a musical musical thing in common is great. But Paul, oh, absolutely. The nice thing about you know about you guys and your history in the hospitality industry, like the other chefs were very keen to say this is what I'm going to cook for them but both you and Paul which also sums up your personalities a little bit you'd ask him what he'd like to be cooked for him you know, rather that's rather than about, yeah that's what being a chef is about isn't it it's it's all well and good saying yeah I'm going to cook you this yeah if someone knows you and knows of you yeah. and for instance like Gary Lineker Gary Lineker I've done a couple of dinners for for Gary and Gary always says, oh, oh, you couldn't do me a, I, I just want a really simple steak and kidney suet pudding. Yeah. And that's it. Great. Yeah. Done. We're in hospitality. That's what we do. We look after people when they, when they want things. <laughs> exactly. That's what the service industry is all about. That's a good You choice. don't tell people what they're going to drink, do you, unless they really don't know what they want to drink and they say, you choose for me. But you don't go in a restaurant saying, right, you're going to drink this. <laughs> exactly. I knew this is why we get on, Alan, because it is. It's, it's all about choice. It should be a conversation, right? Yeah. I always, what I always do is I always say, and people say, oh, no, it's just, they'll just sell you any old rubbish. I say, no. Yeah, when I've been out to eat, mm. I'll ask the sommelier what they would recommend to go with those particular dishes. And it might be that I just have a, gl- a glass that goes with the first two courses a glass that goes with maybe the main course and yeah. then I might have if I'm still got room for it I might have something else for dessert yeah and I said yeah because you guys have trained all those years and you also know that menu inside out yeah and you've had discussions about and tastings and various other <laughs> tastings that have taken place and you've gone oh yeah that works really well with that yeah so that's why I asked the question because I'm not the expert you're the expert when it comes to choosing wines or, or drinks to accompany food. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's it, because there isn't an exact science. You want you want to talk to people that understand the food, and, yeah, we've done a lot of beer and food matching, and the first yeah. thing we do, it, it's like, I'll go, oh, I might have an idea, Alan, that might go with that, but yeah. I, I will send you some beer, and then for you to actually try Absolutely, it. Absolutely, yeah, and because the key. everyone's taste is different, isn't it? Yeah, as, man. As you say, yeah, like you said when we first met, there is no right or wrong answer. It's just what you like. Yes, that's me being a professional fence sitter, Alan. But I still <laughs> very much believe in yeah the power. The, you know, the subjective nature of taste is massively important. We could digress. Of it is. Um, yep. Otherwise, this this could be you know this could be about eight episodes. Right, quick fire questions, mate. One or it. the other, um, like desert island um, sort of stuff. Um, would you choose salt or pepper? Pepper. Tent or hotel? Hotel. Casablanca or Love Actually? Love Actually. Wine or beer? Beer. Ale or lager? Lager. Big lunch or a late feast? Late feast. Beach holiday or a snow holiday? Beach holiday. Meat or fish? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I'm going to have to go meat. 
Excellent. I must say, mate, you are the most disciplined person so far on the quick fire questions. Um, <laughs> and to be honest, I wouldn't mind said I'll have both. Um, but yeah, good work, mate. Because um, they're not easy questions, but that's that's the aperitifs done. Those are the quick yeah. fire. You're in the mood. Fantastic. You're into the rhythm of things. Starters are up. I've poured you a doom bar to match with the starter course. And it's served in a lovely red wine glass so you can appreciate the light caramel aroma. Doombar is a traditional amber ale in style, but from my experience of events, it's a particularly refreshing and accessible one for less regular beer drinkers. And it tends to change preconceptions of amber and brown beer too. The beer has a great balance of light hot bitterness and sweeter malty notes, making it both Moorish and a great food match for light, well-balanced starters and beyond. It's also a great match for the starter course of questions, as it's the beer that really got us started beyond Cornwall. And this course is all about how our guests got started in their love of food, careers, and beer matching with us. Plus, we'll be finding out their favorite ever starter and where they ate it. Bon appétit. Now we're going to go for the starters. So the starters are more about your career, who you yep. are when we first met and that sort of thing, and where yep. it all started for you. So the first question is a timed round, Alan. Yeah. Um, and I, I can already sense that you're very competitive. So <laughs> can you sum up your career in 60 seconds? And I will start my stopwatch now. Uh, I learned to cook through uh, watching my grandparents cook um, got a job as an apprentice chef back in 1980 left that apprenticeship uh, in north london went to work at the goring hotel went from the goring hotel to work for nico le dennis after reading his book my gastronomy um, nico um, changed my outlook on food completely went to work uh, after him for andrew lloyd webber then Quickly went back to work for Nico again. And then Nico said, I know a couple of guys in uh, Covent Garden who just opened this restaurant. You may want to go and have a look at that. And that was the Ivy. And spent the next 23 years of my life there uh, before they sent up Bird of Smithfield um, and then before setting up my own consultancy. Good work, mate. 50 seconds on the dot. That was <laughs> strong. I've got to say, it's not the quickest, but you're, you're in third place. Um, Great stuff the quickest um because i don't think anyone so john walton was 35 seconds i think wow james Nappett was 40 odd seconds so yeah you're in a close third stefan on the other hand took four and a half minutes his wow. his minute <laughs> um which i don't know whether he's winning or john's winning but everyone's a winner mate everyone's a winner but yeah that's brilliant and i'll give stefan you know it's not his mother tongue so he but he just loves to tell a story i love it love love to hear everything Um, absolutely i'll listen to that yeah so um sum up what you do now mate because i know that we've done bits and bobs we've done various trade shows what like you've got lots of different projects on the go yes yeah it must be a lot of fun, not just to be working in services as well, just to be meeting different people. So do you want to sum up your business as it stands? Absolutely. Um, so my my business is a, a consultancy business um, in the simplest form. And 
by that I mean I will work with anyone in the field of hospitality, um, whether it be food or drink, um, and work with them to get to a point where they need to be with their product or whether it's their business um, to maybe send it in a different direction or change direction or to get it off the ground, um, find the right people to work in there, do the training, um, put together concepts, um, look at the financial side of it as well, make sure that all adds up and works for them. Um, and then equally, if someone approaches me and says, look, um, I'm looking to put on an event, whether it be a birthday, anniversary, wedding, um, or a product launch, or a, you know, a get-together to thank all their staff, um, I've done everything from you know a meal for two for catering for festivals um i did the very first car fest and over the course of three days we fed twenty thousand people it's a lot of covers um, yeah <laughs> and it was hugely successful um and just approached it in a different way um to any other sort of festival at that time that i'd been to um and made it a family sort of festival and made people feel welcome so when they were greeted as they arrived on the campsite, we got staff, or I got the staff, to give them a rundown of where they were, what was going on, um, looked after the kids, made sure that the parents were able to, you know, relax and, you know, show them around the campsite and so forth. So those sort of things, they're all challenges that I relish. And, um, you know, whether it's working, like I say, with two people or 20,000, it's, yeah. um, it's all fun. It is, mate. It is. And, you know, you, you helped us out last year at Taste of London for our first silent bistro where we all made it up as we went along. Um, and <laughs> it was it was just amazing, mate. Seeing you with colourful headphones on out in the back that was help, great helping me and Zach out was it was amazing, dude. And that was that was great fun, wasn't it? Yeah. And like I said, and it, to see people's reactions as well when you told them. Um, oh, we've got a commie chef who's going to come out and serve food to you. <laughs> yeah, 23 and the years of the people, Ivy. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't believe who I was. <laughs> no, I got I got some feedback from the business afterwards saying, "Um, so so who was that chap really? Um, that was that was helping you out? No, honestly, that was Alan Bird. Sorry, twenty three years at the Ivy. They were like, Mind oh blown. no, yeah, it's brilliant, and I love that. And this is what I mean, you know. As I was saying to you earlier, it's genuine stories because we're all in this together, you know. And I think that's yeah, the lovely absolutely. thing about you know what what the secret bars created and the people we've met on the way. This is hospitality, and hospitality isn't always restaurants and services. This is just us talking people, about. Isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Talking about flavour and people, it's yeah, it's all cool. Um, and on that note, uh, can you remember when we first met, Alan? I can. It was 4th of December 2016, and it was in the Harbour Car Park at Padstow. Yes, it Secret was. Secret Bar. Excellent. I'm glad you said Secret Bar at the end of that, because people would start um, asking yeah. questions. Yeah, yeah. Minute, <laughs> huh? <laughs> well, it was in a, a big wooden packing case, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was, mate. Because um, that, that was even more bizarre. Because someone said, "Oh, let's go inside here," and it's like, "What? This is a big wooden packing case." So obviously, they bought kit for the festival and stored it in here. Yeah, no, no. little did I know. Yeah, and because uh, funny enough, because Hank was a couple of episodes before, and it was literally that that first session, and 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 Hank Hank brought you in there. 
that was that was uh, right yeah it was amazing yeah it, it, and, Phil Vickery yeah as well yeah Phil was in there as well it was lovely yeah um and yeah been friends ever since and it, it, brilliant you know and that's that's the um that's the god's honest mate that's um yeah very no very true. absolutely no it was that was that really sort of um did sort of make me question um you know an awful lot about food and flavors and pairing beer and and food together it was just it was a light bulb moment for me it really was yeah it's it's lovely it's lovely to sort of be a part of that but we've done loads since as well and this is what i keep on absolutely. saying absolutely yeah, yeah we've done various bits and bobs since and and we'll carry carry on doing these these bits yeah. and bobs more i think we got one to look forward to next year as well yes we have i reckon we've got several um <laughs> so more about you uh yeah what what started the love of cooking what's what where was the spark of interest in food for you mate well earliest really was my two grandfathers yeah um so my granddad on my father's side um was a butcher mm. and he trained as a butcher from when he was i think 14 15 and uh worked in the local butcher's shop in enfield highway um and then that was for the cooperative and ended up running uh, the local cooperative butcher shop, um, and then went on to run the abattoir, um, which was further out, sort of Essex way, yeah. um, sort of nasing. And there was always food um, around the house when I went to my grandparents' house. And then on my um, mother's side, her father was, um, he was a cook in the army. Yeah. Um, so he did his military service, and when he came out of the army, back into Civvy Street, he became a, a baker, um, and he enjoyed the job. But unfortunately, the flour didn't agree with him. Right. And he used to come out with a rash on his arms. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he had to pack that up. But there was again, there was always you know bread being baked or uh, you know something going on. There was something on the stove bubbling away yeah. um, when it, I went to those houses and. It was always, you know, the family, the centre of the family get-together was always around the kitchen. Yeah. Um, and I, like my earliest memories are like at my grandparents' house, seeing a, a big glass bowl um, sitting up on this um, worktop. And I was looking up towards this big glass bowl, and inside it was uh, like blood and water that had separated. Yeah. And I was like, trying to work out what it is. And I said to my grandma, what's that? And she said, it's a tongue. Wow. And apparently I said, whose is it? <laughs> <laughs> and she said, no, it's an ox tongue. Yeah. And I was like, wow. Yeah. yeah. Wonder what, what that ox, does he want his tongue back? Yeah. <laughs> All these things going through my mind. Yeah. And then the next time I went round there, I think it was a few days later, uh, I was with my mum and my grandma said, oh, would you like a sandwich? And usual, reeled off all the different fillings that I could have in it. Yeah. And I think I asked for corned beef. Yeah. Um, and then sat down to eat my sandwich. But I was sort of aware that I was being stared at more than usual by mm. my grandma and my mum. Yeah, yeah. And when I finished the sandwich, they said, oh, where was your corned beef? And I sort of looked at it and I went, yeah, it's lovely, delicious. Yeah. And I said, that was that ox tongue. Wow. That you had it there instead. Yeah. And I was like, um, I'm still alive. Yeah. Um, I don't feel sick. Yeah. Mm, I like Oxtar. <laughs> Brilliant. And yeah. So things like that were a huge influence and um, ultimately it led me towards wanting to be a chef and 
learn more about butchery and and every aspect of being a chef yeah now it's amazing because those those sort of childhood stories um and the 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 tricksy nature of parents and grandparents of yeah. sneaking stuff in because because if they, if they told you because <laughs> i try it with my kids if they told you, you what was in it they wouldn't touch it with a barge pole so yeah absolutely yeah you got to sneak stuff in and yeah i can i can visualize them just staring at you going he's going for it he's going for it and wait until the yeah. last to <laughs> finish exactly, that last mouthful yeah. and going oh that was it they how yeah, was that and that's exactly what it was yeah man good on you Good stuff. But it also makes you rather sceptical of anything they cook for you thereafter. Because they've, trick, they've tricked you once. Go, oh, I don't trust you. What have you put in it? So you always ask first. That's brilliant, mate. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> um, right. Last question on the starters round. Um, so quite a fascinating. I've asked you for your favourite starter of all time. So what, oh, I, yes. what I do is I, I will theoretically pair a beer with your starter. Yeah. But, you're gonna to have to chat through the starter because, and Absolutely. then I, and then I'll rack my brains about what beer I, I think I, I should pair with it. Right, yeah. So um, it it sort of blew my mind um, when it was um, introduced to me and brought to the table. Yeah. Um, I went um, in 2009 to. I was lucky enough to uh, get table through one of my friends at El Bully mm. um, for Enadra's, um three-star Michelin restaurant, which was up in the mountains. Um, fantastic um, location in a place called Roses, which is just outside of Barcelona, um, or was. I think it's still there, and it's now maybe a, a teaching uh, facility, I think, um, yeah. was one of the things I heard it got turned into. But back then, um, you know, getting a the table there was one of the hardest things you could possibly do. Yeah, And one of the uh, things that when we got there was uh we got shown around the kitchen um got introduced to uh friend Adra and uh sort of gave him my business card um through his maitre d and um friend doesn't doesn't really speak english um and he said something in spanish back to his um maitre d when he looked at my business card mm. and i said oh what did he say he said he's been trying to get a table there for ages <laughs> <laughs> And I said, shouldn't be a problem. Ditto. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we had we sat down and we had, um, it was 38 courses. Wow. 38 courses. And one of the starters was just incredible. It was called uh, Di Dinosaur Egg. That yeah. was the way they introduced it to us. And uh, there, was, there was six of us on the table Um one of my friends, uh, Andy Taylor, who's the head of hospitality of uh, Manchester City mm. um, Football Club now. Um, just before that, he was working at Williams as their head of hospitality, Williams F1 with Michael Gaines. Yeah. Um, so Andy remembers it as well as I do. And we just sat there and said, what is this? And these two large sort of duck egg blue eggs arrived on the table. Yeah. And they were huge. And, and straight away, you start thinking, well, what animal was that from? And there wasn't an animal that, as far as I was aware, that could produce an egg that big yeah. or a bird. <laughs> um, and then they explained to you, uh, they bought this big, um, it was almost like a twill, savoury twill made of corn. 
and it was scattered with spices and things like puffed rice and puffed barley and various other bits and pieces and sea salt and it was incredible and uh, the waitress she came over and she smashed the top of the the egg like you would your boiled egg mm. um and the bits of it broke inside um and they said you just grab a piece of that and you can eat it with the savory twill um and that's one of your courses and it turns out that the egg was made from um blue cheese wow. and essentially it was a frozen emulsification of blue cheese um and how they made this egg i still don't know to this day mm. um maybe i should research it a bit harder but the technique was incredible um and it was frozen and as we sat there we broke bits of it off and as because of the how thin it was by the time you broke a piece off and you put it with the um twill it yeah. just melted in your mouth it was delicious and all the time you're sitting there you're eating it's going yes this is this is amazing yeah. uh, how did they do this and and even now to this day <laughs> how did they do that yeah mind blown yeah um, a bit of magic yeah and that was you know one of 38 courses and um yeah it stayed with me ever since and like a lot of other chefs i think sat baines another chef who went to el bully and came away from um after his experience and thought i'm gonna change the way i cook yeah. because of his experience there and i think there was an awful lot of other people that you know had the same yeah i think and like back you know that elbowly being the institution um that it is because you know that was i just chatting to james Knappick before you yeah because like, he was working at noma when yeah that became best restaurant in the world. Yes, and El, El Bully was that before, you know, for for various years. And I think it it they were a game changer in the world of gastronomy. It's not just a absolutely. game changer in our country. Like this was recognised. And imagine the pressure because James talked a lot about being in the kitchen at Noma and the pressure when it it became the best restaurant in the world. That's oh, a huge. whole different level level of, of of pressure that you know I I can I I'd never be able to understand and yeah it, it, incredible place and like I said it it changes people's minds of what they thought um, perception find, exactly perception yeah, it is. changes your perception of what food's about yeah and yeah you know, whilst I can't claim to be on anywhere near the same level as some like Sat Baines you know I I can appreciate that what sat was saying about that experience for him it just makes you think wow what am i doing and you know i've got to try harder and yeah but, you know a bit like um yeah you know, someone like dwayne johnson yeah you know the rock when he says you know be the hardest working person in that room yes um suddenly you know what you thought you were doing as a chef you're cooking um you go away and you think to yourself jesus i've got to try harder Yes, and there's always something to learn, and this is what absolutely. I genuinely love love you know because I've, I've I've chatted to a lot of you guys, and it's taking inspiration, you know, it's it's steal ideas with pride, but also take inspiration of of people that have done stuff because you you know the the, the world of gastronomy is changing all the time, and there's massively yeah. influential people like Steins will always come up, you know, our affiliation to Cornwall. Rick, yeah. Rick changed everything down here yes. in Cornwall. Yeah. 
but then you know you're chatting to to Paul Ainsworth and and Paul absolutely. Ripley. Gary Rhodes changed everything as well. You know, absolutely. We can absolutely. learn from huge influence. Yeah, yeah and we can learn and from everyone, man. They 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 not only um, change the way you think about um, food, um, they challenge your perception of what food is about or yeah. what hospitality is about. Yeah. And not only is it just about the food, it's also about the the service element of it and, you know, the front of house team and the way that they work. And obviously in tandem with uh, the back of house team, yeah. all of it's that whole experience. And what I found with El Bully, it wasn't just, you know, you're trying to work out in your own mind. So what made them give it three stars? Well, part of that experience was actually the journey to yeah. and from the restaurant. Yeah. And it was up what a winding road through mountain roads and, it was actually um, there was a bit of a storm on the way there, and mm. rain was coming down. And someone had an accident; it had been a, like a head-on collision between a, I think it was a Land Rover and another vehicle. Oh, and we had to sort of, you know, we had to go around the edge of the the road, and it was right on the cliff edge. And so I'm looking down, and thinking, Jesus, if we end up down there, that's it; we'd, we're done for. Yeah, and you wouldn't have so, even eaten yet. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and it was sort of when you actually arrived, it was like we've made it this has been like a quest in itself just to get here yeah and that was part of the experience i i believe and what made me you know come away from that place thinking wow what an incredible experience i was lucky enough to go back um again hmm. um the first time i went was uh the first time i think they'd done lunch service yeah um and i actually had to leave early when i say leave early we arrived at midday yeah and my flight back to the UK was uh, 10 o'clock in the evening. Yeah. And I had to leave at 8 o'clock in the evening. Lunch still hadn't finished. Crikey. That's a, that's a long lunch. <laughs> that's a long lunch. <laughs> Eight hours. Yeah. I had missed the last two courses. So when I went back for dinner, I made sure I got those last two courses. We stayed there and it was just incredible. Amazing. Well, with that dish... See the blue cheese threw me. Like I was going, I, I got, I got you with the corn, the rice, the barley, and the sea salt because that sounds stunning. Was was the blue cheese really, really rich, or was it quite sort of balanced or quite mellow? It was, it was quite mellow. Yeah, but you knew it was blue cheese because you got that wonderful tang. Yeah, at the end of the taste when it was on, you know, it lingers a little bit on your tongue. Yeah, um, but it wasn't in your face. It wasn't a real you know, punch in the mouth uh, taste of blue yeah. cheese. Okay. It was I'll, subtle. I'd go, I'd go one of two ways, really. So for a, for a palate cleansing and a nice sort of link into the ingredients, I would yeah. go for a lager. So it's actually a lager without a huge amount of flavour because back to being an El Bully and, and one of those things that, I will always respect, and you've heard me say lots of times, there's no yep. way that I'd ever want to overpower a dish. I want things yes. to work together. So I would yep. go for one of two beers. I'd go for Cobra. So Cobra, yep. super light, a lovely bitterness. Um, yes. So would just cut through the blue cheese, yeah, but without overpowering anything. And also the bonus with Cobra is actually Cobra uses four types of grain. So uh, it uses rice, uses barley, uses corn, and uses maize as well. So that's a wow. nice link when it comes to ingredients. Yeah. Um, or the other one would be, of course, Estrella in Edit, which is the beer that Estrella did yeah. with El Bully. 
you know absolutely back yeah. to that balance and elegance you know when when people talk about beer and food you, you can quite easily get into that competition of flavors whereas in fact yes. balance and elegance is one of the most underrated things in gastronomy so nice palate cleansing nice light beers to go with those dishes i think that's, that's incredible oh that's brilliant yeah brilliant choice thanks man. and um after studying my family tree and uh, finding that I had uh, some Spanish in my uh, family tree, I'd have to say I'd have to go for the Estrella. Nice. But having said that, I do love um, one of my local favourite Indian restaurants, bless him, uh, Hassan, who owns the restaurant, yeah. a place called uh, Sona Bangla in uh, Cuffley. Um, I feel sorry for him because obviously he's uh, struggling in the current situation. But yeah. I'm missing sitting there having the cobra with uh, my mate Paul and um, shooting the breeze with uh, Hassan. <laughs> yes, yeah, I, yeah, we all we all miss it, but we'll get back to it as soon as we, we can. will do. We will do soon. Here comes the fish course. We've matched this course with Atlantic Pale Ale, a classic British beer style with a hop forward nod to the new worlds beyond our shores. A golden beer with wonderful tropical fruit aromas. An assertive yet restrained bitterness, this beer is often a great match for fuller flavoured fish dishes. Our pale ale is named after the Atlantic Ocean that lies just over a mile north of our brewery. The Atlantic surrounds our beloved county and beyond beer and food, it's Cornwall that really connects us to our Just Add Beer chefs and friends. So, this fish course is all about Cornwall and our Cornish connections. Cheers you! Um, cool, that starters, mate. Um, not necessarily quick Brilliant. fire, but that that was great. We're going to move on to the fish course. The fish course is all about Cornwall because I know you're not based down in Cornwall, but no. we met in Cornwall. What is it that you love about sort of Cornwall, especially the restaurant scene? I was thinking about this, and um, it's two things that really um, sum it up. Really, it's the it's the places mm-hmm. um, and it's the people yeah. and. It goes back to like holidays with my parents. Um, when I was younger, we used to often come down to the West Country um, and we'd obviously stay in Cornwall. Um, sometimes we used to go to Somerset and, and, and Devon and various other places, Dorset. Yeah. But Cornwall was always a place I enjoyed um, when we went. Um, one, because we always used to get Cornish pasty yeah. and there was something magical about Cornish pasty. Oh, and there still is, boy. There still is. There still is. Yeah. There still is. And those those memories, you know, I remember going and having, uh, I think it was recently on uh, James Martin's um, uh, programme where he went from island to island. Yeah. And he came down, I think he was with Galton, Galton Blackstone, yeah, and yeah. they had... Cornish ice cream with clotted cream. Yeah. And that, again, just took me back to when I was a child. And I remember my father buying me a Cornish ice cream made with clotted ice, uh, clotted cream. Yeah. And then the woman who was serving me said, would I like some clotted cream on top? And I was like, you can't do that. That's illegal. <laughs> but yes. <laughs> yes, please. And then, and then me sort of, the, it was just like, Whoa, mind blown. Yeah. I can have ice cream with cream. Yeah. And then it just solidifies on top and you get that lovely crust of where the cream sort of semi freezes, but it's like a crust and then it melts in your mouth and yeah. poof. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, man. So things like that. And then 
my mum saying to you know we're going to go for a, a cream tea and i'd say cream tea i don't like creaming tea i prefer milk yeah she goes, no no clotted cream tea and i'd say oh what's that and then we'd end up having scones and they'd bring out a pot of tea yeah and we'd look at it and I'd, you know i've always had a good appetite and i'm thinking what one scone each that's mm-hmm. not gonna be enough yeah and after eating as a youngster eating a scone with you know jam and then your clotted cream on top that was more than enough for me yes it's that it's that richness because you go yeah you get eyes bigger bigger than your belly yeah 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 but it was just enough so you know that was uh the earliest sort of memories of um come down to cornwall Mm. um and then literally um i came down uh a few years ago to visit the Pasdo Christmas Festival. Yeah. Um, and really because um, Stefan, yes. at seafood. Living um, legend, I mean, Stefan. Yeah, and Stefan, Stefan worked with another uh, living legend that used to work with me at the Ivory, Roy yeah. Brett. Yes, absolutely. And before that, I used to come and, you know, visit Roy and come and eat the seafood restaurant and hang around in Padsto and all over Cornwall. Um, and it was that friendship, really, that led me to say, well, I'm going to come and see the Padstow Christmas Festival. I've heard so many great things about it. Um, I'm just going to come along and be, you know, be a tourist and, and come and visit the festival. Yeah. Um, and one of the questions I asked was a good friend of mine, another local lad, Jeff Cole yeah. um, of Cole, Raymond and White. Absolutely. Um, me and Jeff are friends going back quite a few years. And I said to Jeff, where would you say, uh, you know, where, where should I stay? And he said, I know who to introduce you to. You need to go and stay with Hank yes. at the halfway house. Yeah. And that was literally how we met. That's amazing. I, did, yeah. I didn't know that either. It's brilliant. Yeah. So fortuitous, all of these little link-ups. That's... And I remember going to halfway house, meeting Hank, chatting to him, pouring me a pint, and he asked me what I wanted to drink. And I said, I'll have a Guinness, please. Yeah. So I had a pint of Guinness. And we were chatting away. And there was my wife and kids and all the rest of it. And everyone was getting on so well. That, you know, you can't do anything other than with Hank. He's yeah. getting with him. Yeah. And he said, would you like another beer? And I said, oh, yes, please. Um, another Guinness. And I went, yes, please. And they said, could I suggest something, try something different? And I went, yeah, what do you reckon? He said, well, if you like Guinness, I think you should try this. And I said, what's that? He said, it's Wolf Rock. Yes. And I said, okay, yeah, let's try it. And I drank it, and I was like, oh, mate, this is my new favourite drink. <laughs> awesome. And as Hank calls me now, Mr. Wolf Rock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And That's that amazing. the beginning of my relationship with Sharps. See, I didn't know that, and that is before, because I, cause we'd probably, PC, yeah. we would have met, the day after or a couple of days after in the um in the secret bar so absolutely i didn't know that um hank was a fan of wolf rock before you know before we actually had any influence well, literally it was yeah it was literally hank saying look i think you'll like this if you like guinness and you like that multi flavor yeah um and yeah just try it and i thought yeah why not there's no harm and that was it. I've never looked back. Nice. Yeah, it's a great beer. Obviously, I'm biased, but that's a great oh, beer. Um, yeah. 
Right, best fish dish, as we're talking about Cornwall, what's the best fish dish um, that you ever had? Because it's off the cuff because I didn't send you this question. So is there one fish dish that sort of springs to mind? One fish dish that springs to mind. Um, I've got to say, for me, um, just a really simple grilled Dover sole. Yeah. Um, you know, or a, a piece of turbot yeah. um, or brill, you know, plain grilled. Yeah. Um, maybe with some uh, Bernays sauce or yeah. some kind of, um, you know, Hollandaise-based um, sauce with it. Yeah. Um, with that char grill, the lovely smokiness of it. Um stunning yeah really simple not and one of the things i've learned over the years i did a lot of cooking for um i went to the international seafood expo in brussels and i was working with a company called sea lord Mm -hmm. and i cooked on their stand um and i was cooking fish for them and you'd get all different um manner of um people from different parts of europe and around the world yeah and one thing I discovered was that um, most commonly with uh, Europeans, um, the Spanish and the French, was they didn't want their food adulterated. So they wanted to taste the fish for what it was, yeah. um, especially you know when you've got fresh fish, you don't want to adulterate it. Um, and that's what I've learned. I've just learned to appreciate the flavour of fish um, cooked um, perfectly and just with a squeeze of lemon juice and a little bit of seasoning. Yeah, I completely agree. And funny enough, that that turbot, because I've been asking, you know, the the other chefs on the, on these episodes, and turbot is is a firm favourite amongst you guys. Um, turbot Absolutely. And, and hollandaise. So, and the thing is, I'm trying to go right. What other beers can I match with it? But just turbot and a doom bar is beautiful. Oh. Lovely. Um, or or just just a really nice like lager. I've mentioned Augustina Hellas in the past. It's sort of a, yep. a Munich um, Hellas beer. Something really light if it's just a fish on its own. But if you've got the Hollandaise, you need it's something a little bit more depth of flavour. Um, yeah, right. turbots. It's up there. I'm going to start tallying how many how many of you guys say turbots their favourite fish dish. We've got expensive taste, our chef. Yes, that's absolutely. why we love turbot. Yeah, but actually, with with all of your guys sign off on the turbot, you can understand why why it's expensive. It, it's that good. Um, do, yeah. Do you have a favourite restaurant in Cornwall, Chef? Do I have a favourite restaurant in Cornwall? Oh, it's a tough one. Um, I've not been to um, all of the restaurants that I'd like to visit, mm. so it's unfair to try and try and pick one. Um, because I, there's still a few that I haven't been to. I still haven't been to the Mariners since Paul started there. Oh, it's a um, must-go, that one, mate. I've been to uh, Reggiano's, yeah. but obviously that's changed. Yeah. So, again, that's another place I need to visit. Uh, number six, I haven't eaten at. I've been to the Seafood. Um, yeah. I've been to St. Petrox. I've been to a lot of Rick's places. I've been to his fish and chip shop. Yeah. Um, and there's so many places that I haven't been to. So it'd be unfair to try and pick a favorite without having given the others a chance excellent that's a very good way to to try and squirm out of answering a question alan without upsetting anyone (laughs) (laughs) well played mate well played um it's brilliant because loads of people have sort of answered it and then caveated it with if i'm with my family it'd be here because it's it is really hard it's really hard to say that's my favorite because if you're going on your own that's a completely different experience if you're going 
you know, Absolutely. two people, different experience, but a few with family, nice day, bad weather, whole shebang. So it is, it's a really hard question to answer. So I, how many times have you been asked that question? What's your favourite restaurant? Yes, and exactly. And you can't give a straight answer. No, and I usually go on my, my the last time I had a, a dinner that blew my mind in Cornwall, um, or that, that's, that always go on my mo- most recent men memory because otherwise i'll end up just trawling through the memory bank so technically this might yeah. be my favorite restaurant so uh yeah that's absolutely fair enough that's the fish course done mate now we're moving on to on to mains and now the main course this calls for a glass of wolf rock red ipa named after the reef and lighthouse eight nautical miles off land's end this beer is a bit of a fusion between a red ale and a new world ipa which allows it to have darker fruit and malt sweetness combined with significant hot bitterness, with neither overpowering the other. The result is a full-flavoured beer that's complex enough to stand up to matching big, bold main courses. It's our most versatile food-matching beer, or, to quote our regular house chef, Zach Hawke, if in doubt, try matching it with Wolfrock. As we up the intensity of the beer flavours, the questions in this course match it perfectly. We'll be asking them to talk us through their favourite recipe from the cookbook, Challenge them to share a store cupboard recipe, name their ultimate beer match, and declare their food hero. Let's tuck in. Um, the big questions. Well, actually, they're all quite big questions. Um, <laughs> store cupboard. Store cupboard recipe. So this is for the listeners, um, Alan. Um, store cupboard recipes. Have you got any hints and tips for anyone that's listening on how to make something sort of magic out of stuff that you wouldn't expect any any sort of tricks of the trade for people well one of the i think the things that most chefs do is they always try to keep a good collection of um, different dried products yeah so weirdly enough i was having this conversation with um paul ripley um a few weeks ago yeah and he was asking me about storage jars and i said i've got uh a huge collection of parfait jars that line up in my kitchen cupboards and they're filled with everything from puy lentils to couscous um all manner of different dried pastas yeah um you know whether it's penne whether it's twist or it's um you know spaghetti you name it linguine um and then i've got things like split peas i've got petty cocoa beans and what that does for me is that when um, I'm thinking, oh, you know, I need to put something together for for dinner tomorrow, so I might soak some petty cocoa beans in the fridge now. I've got some confit duck. Nice. Um, and, of course, what would you want to eat in boiling hot weather? Cassoulet. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that could be one option. But yeah. equally, you know, my, my youngest son, he loves um, pasta, mm. uh, pasta carbonara. Yeah. And... Um, for lunchtime today, he put himself, he made himself a pasta carbonara. Nice. Um, you know, got great eggs, got great pasta, lardons of bacon. Um, he's got all the stuff there, and he did it himself. So that's awesome. Those are the, those sort of things. And then when it comes to um, making things really quickly, I've got tins of tomatoes. So I'll always have things like you know stock cubes or little bouillon uh, cubes yeah. and I'll put together something like a, you know, a really simple tomato sauce. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll have onions in the cupboard. I might have shallots in the fridge. 
um, just sitting in the salad tray so I can pull those out. I'll always have like a bit of celery in there, um, garlic, and then I'll chop all those up, a few carrots in the base, sweat those off, olive oil, in with tomato puree. Um, if I haven't drunk it all, I might put a splash of red wine in there. <laughs> um, and then, or alternatively, if I don't have red wine, I put vinegar in there. Yeah. Um, a little splash of red wine vinegar. Yeah. Uh, and that cooks off nicely. Then in with the tin tomatoes, let those cook out. And then I'll also add either something like a, a beef oxo cube to it, um, or it might be a veg, a uh, little nor veg bouillon pot in there as well. Yeah. Let that cook, a bit more olive oil, and just let it cook out for a while and then put whatever pasta I want into it. So that would be a really simple one. Some dried herbs as well. Um, so you've got your oregano, you've got your marjoram. Um, I've got loads of um, samples and stuff that I got from Santa Maria Spices. Yeah, I've, uh, I've also friend. I've also got still got some of those samples. I was talking about the um, uh, yeah. No, it wasn't Santa Maria. It was something else. It was your smoked your smoked salt, Peruvian yes. smoked salt. I was chatting yes. to um, John Walton about that, mate. And I'm forever indebted, but I am also running low. It, it's changed my world, that smoked salt. Yeah, no, that, that salt is incredible. So that, again, a good friend of mine, um, Alec Cousins, he is one of these incredible guys that uh, has been in the business for so long. And he, again, has changed the way that he's worked over the years. He, I met him um, when I bought a tub of um, ready-made stock yeah. in Waitrose, and he owned a company called Jubier. Yeah. And... Uh, on talking to uh, Heston a few years ago, um, Heston said, yeah, I remember Zubia. They used to make stocks for us. And weirdly, I sort of bought a tub when I was in the supermarket and I was making a, it was a braised beef, beef dish. And I thought, I'll give this a go. And it was incredible. Mm. And I got in contact with the um, uh, department sort of um, customer services and um, they put me in touch with the owner and then this guy, um, Alec, he sold the business a few years later and started up another business that went all over Europe buying uh, ready-made passatas from Sicily and you know, sourcing all these incredible like artisan ingredients. Yeah. Then he sold that business, and now he's got a food business out in Peru. Yeah. And um, more recently, I've sent um, uh, Jockey. Yeah, yeah. Um, he used to work with um, Heston yeah. and obviously works with um, Gordon now. Yeah. And he was doing uh, like a recce for a program that uh, Gordon's doing on uh, National Geographic. And um, yeah, they went to visit um, the area where my friend Alec was and got to see where this uh, smoke salt came from and all these amazing uh, different herbs and and chilies and spices, incredible. Yeah, giant so, yeah. corn and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. Really yeah, good. So I'll have to get some more. Thanks, mate. Appreciate that. Um, we digress. We're very good at digressing, Alan. Um, back to cooking, mate. Um, yeah. So I've asked you to chat about one of the many dishes. I think you did. Yeah, you did seven dishes in the cookbook. Thank you very much. Yes. Um, uh, so you you get to chat through one of the dishes that that you created for the cookbook and again any absolutely. hints and tips for the for the listeners so do you want yeah, to absolutely. chat through that dish yeah absolutely so the dish that um came to mind and the reason it sort of stuck in my mind was the, the cornish rabbit bites yeah so good and 
that dish literally came out of um, wanting to do something uh, when I was working with Henk. Um, and Henk had asked me to come down to help him open Traviscas. Yeah. Uh, along with uh, Adrian. Yeah. Adrian Oliver. Yeah. So whilst I was there, I would stay at the halfway house. And uh, one particular day, um, I was working in the kitchen at halfway house. And um, I said to Hank, so I've got an idea for a, a little um, a mousse bouche because Hank used to serve with his uh, lovely focaccia, beer focaccia bread yeah. that's in the, the book as well. Yeah. Always used to serve like a little tasting spoon. Yeah. And I said, I've got an idea. And that was when I started to think about this idea of doing Welsh rarebit, but not um, on toast, the Welsh rarebit being inside, yeah. uh, i.e. like a little ball or yeah. arancini ball so that's where it sort of started off from making a a rare bit base mm. um but wanting to use cornish ingredients so it was uh true to uh obviously the fantastic ingredients in the area yeah we're lucky um and using wolf rock um for that as yeah. well so wolf rock is the replacement for what would have been guinness or a stout yeah or a porter yeah um in the base of that, and then in with a really good quality cheese, and that's when um, I used the David Stowe. Yeah. So the David Stowe uh, vintage cheddar, um, I mean, you can use whatever David Stowe cheddar you wanted to use, but um, I used, I think it was the 18-month-old yeah. um, cheddar. It's so good. They are. They're all amazing cheeses. Yeah. And I've used the four year old one and I've tasted the seven year old one. Oh, just unbelievable. Yeah. So that, along with a little bit of Worcestershire sauce, um that put together um and then just set I I think I froze it to begin with, mm. um, just to chill it down. Um you could stick it in a uh, a blast chiller, but equally like I did, I stuck it in the freezer just to chill it down. Yeah. Then mold it up. And then freeze those balls so that you can then take them out again and coat them in breadcrumbs. Yeah. So flour egg breadcrumbs and then deep fry them. And then I served it with a mayonnaise. I made the mayonnaise and then I finished it off with English mustard and a little bit of grain mustard. Yeah. Um, and they work so well. They're really simple to make up. They're something that you could put in your freezer um, and you could you know, shallow fry them if you wanted to. And they're just a really nice little snack to they, have with a beer. They're so good. And I think that's the lovely thing about the, the cookbook. You know, we did fancy dinner parties and this, that and the other. These these little, again, back to things being approachable. It doesn't, you know, gastronomy doesn't have to be loads of bells and whistles. Just yeah. good, tasty stuff. Because I think initially you used it with Seven Souls, but you can use any that's beer right. in the mix. Yeah. Um, and... So absolutely you use Doombar if you wanted to anything yeah i think i i paired it in the cookbook with thigston's old peculiar you know as a proper yes. english staple yep. dark ale it's rich because david so cheddar is amazing um because we are we're really, really lucky and i think those little hints and tips of even if people don't make their own mayonnaise just put some mustard in some mayonnaise because i'm, I'm not the most adventurous cook in the world um i'm a bit of a cupboard cook but just yeah mix stuff that you've already got i think that's the Absolutely. whole idea of cupboard cooking. and it is dry yeah it's dry goods you know that you can have on hand and if you've got a little bit of um, hellman's mayonnaise or yeah. heinz mayonnaise or 
there are other brands as well. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Mix that in with your favourite mustard and yeah. experiment. Or, you know, it could be a bit of um, sriracha or, you know, yeah. sweet chilli sauce. Exactly. It's whatever floats your boat, really. Exactly. Good. Go on. Everyone should go on their own voyage of discovery just by making a, a decent dipping sauce. But make those Absolutely. make those rabbit bites because they're they're a little bit too too Moorish. It's back to you know when they get when you, you know I shouldn't I shouldn't have another one. It's a little bit of a guilty pleasure, but actually Good. just a pleasure. I don't feel guilty eating these whatsoever. Um, <laughs> do you have a favourite beer match of all time, Alan? A favourite beer match? Yeah. Oh, um... I'm trying to think what it is I've had now. Um, oh, so many beers and so many good beers over the years I've tried in different situations. Yeah. Um, I would say, I would say beer and sausages are a pretty good match. Yeah, agreed. Um, you know, a really good um, like Cumberland sausage. Yeah. Even if it's just like a little cocktail Cumberland sausage, yeah. and I used to have on the menu. Um, like for my bar snacks, I used to have um, little tiny, um, God bless him, he's no longer with us, but um, there was a Austrian guy, um, Jean-Paul, and his company's still going. Um, Ian, who was his business partner, still runs it, and he had a company called Franconian Sausages, mm-hmm. and uh, Jean-Paul Haberman, who owned the company, used to make these incredible um, black puddings. Wow. And he made little cocktail black puddings. And I said to him, I said, yeah, these are delicious. And he explained to me how he made them. And he entered it into um, the um, Black Pudding World Championships in France. Yeah. And he got second place, first time out, second place awesome. in the World Championships. And he got made <laughs> a Knight of the Boudin Noir. That was the, what, the official title. And what, what is a Knight of the Boudin Noir? Well, you are someone who's entered into a small select group of people yeah. that have re- been recognised for making exceptional uh, blood sausage. That is amazing. Um, and I just loved his um, uh, sausage-making ability. And I used to have these... Um, we actually developed a sausage which was um, using flavours that were would have been prevalent or prominent um, in London... Um, and things like celery, salt, um, parsley would have been in there as well. And we came up with a sausage brand called Londoner. Mm-hmm. Um, and he still sells that now. They still sell that now um, under the Londoner brand. And there's lots of black pepper in there as well. Nice. Then we did um, various other sausages. But that was on my bar menu simply because it worked really well yeah. with beer. And whether that was, um, I used to work with um, Camden Brewery. Brilliant. So brewery. I used to yeah. have uh, Hills. Yeah. Um, that was on the bar on draft. Um, I also had, um, I'm trying to think of the, it was a London Porter mm. from the Meantime Brewery yeah, yeah. as well. Um, and a great, a great beer. Um, yeah, I used fantastic. to do braised beef with that as well. Um, and we used to marinate it with a little bit of that meantime brewery beer yeah. or porter. Um, but yeah, sausages and beer. I yeah. mean, the Germans and the Austrians have been doing it for hundreds of years. For, for hundreds of years. Yeah. Um, why can't we do it? We've got great sausages, you know, 
great pork in this country. Um, yeah. uh, you know, and more recently, I've been working with um, a com- company down the West Country, West Country Premium Venison. Yes, and yes, indeed. We've been developing sausages with them. Um, and again, they'll work equally with um, a great ale or mm. a lager. Yeah. Um, experiment that's what it's about yeah yeah I'd, I'd definitely go for that sort of the meantime porter and your londoner because i, lo- yeah. I love the fact and i'm glad you mentioned germany you know i'm not putting words into your mouth but yep. the the germans and you, you know you've heard me chat a lot like yeah. the germans and the belgians they seem they to know have how a, to make beer exactly they have a more of a respect and reverence and romanticism around beer um, it was Absolutely. when I went f- first went to Belgium. That's what blew my mind. And it's not that we don't in this country, but it's not ingrained in society. We love flavour, but yeah. the history side of things, and this is sort of what I try and do, you know, I, I try not to geek Absolutely. out too much. But, you know, porters were invented in London. So, you know, that, that sausage, that Londoner sausage with a meantime porter, that that's celebrating yeah. where... The, yeah, both those local, ingredients have come from you know yeah the history of it yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah and that's a and lovely like, thing like you say you know in belgium i've been to the grand place and i've been to some of the bars around there and there's so many different types of um lagers you know yeah. whether it be you know your real out there fruit flavored lagers yeah. to you know great pilsners or whether it's um uh, you know trappist monk beer yeah you know fantastic and Oh, look forward to when I go able to do that again. <laughs> Absolutely, mate. I, I know I'll be on the first flight out. Um, cool. What about a, a, a tricky question? But who's your food hero, Alan? Uh, well, you know what I thought of that, yeah. and it, I'd say I've got to say it was my two granddads yeah. because you know they were they were the guys that influenced me and wanted to get me involved with it. Yeah, and then um, sort of later on in life. Um, if we're talking about um, like suppliers, mm-hmm. I would say that um, John Paul that we just spoke about, yeah. Frank Conian, he passed away a few years ago, sadly. Yeah. Um, and then again, Reg Johnson. Yeah. Um, Reg Johnson uh, from Guznar. Um, I got introduced to him by Paul Heathcote, and um, sadly, jo- uh, Reg passed away um a few years ago yeah. um before his time but reg was so enthusiastic you know he had a a farm in Guzner that he raised his own ducks and chickens and geese and he would always be down in london uh, smithfield market so when i had the restaurant in smithfield he used to sort of pull up outside come in have a cup of tea or coffee and we'd just be talking about food and all kinds of stuff and he was just a really genuine guy and you know so enthusiastic about what he did and it's people like that that whether they're fishermen whether they're farmers whether they're you know your local greengrocer yeah if they're passionate about and they're knowledgeable about what they do you can't help but not be influenced by them and excited about what they're talking about yeah it's 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 showing that common that common love like you said common passion it is and you can learn so much off these people that you know, like we were talking earlier, this that quest for for knowledge. You're always looking for for something new or something different. And yeah. I'd always, you know, talk to people that were passionate about what they did. And more than often, they'll come out with a, a piece of information, or they'll give you an ingredient and go, 
I've just got this in. This is you know, just coming to season. Try this. And you go, oh, well, and it might be I don't know, a new asparagus uh, mm. grower or it might be a, a variety of potato or it might be, um, I don't know, some baby squid that someone's caught. And you just, those things like that. And they say, go on, take a bag of this or take that away. And you go, oh, wow. And, of course, you want to work with it and try it and eat it. And that inspires you to make other dishes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is a lovely thing about our industry you know and, and as i said to the, the other guys that you know i'm i'm you know i'm a couple of degrees separation from hospitality i'm not working services but the community is incredible they're yeah. you know listening to paul lanesworth talk about padstow like oh, it's not yeah. about competition like people that are coming to cornwall will go to the seafood restaurant They'll go and eat at Nathan's. They'll go and eat at yeah. Paul's. They'll have yeah. a surprise lunch at, I don't know, at Prawn on the Lawn, or they'll have a yeah. cream tea up at Travisca's. Yeah. They'll have a steak over at Hank's at, at Halfway. Like, it's there is so many choices for people to go around, and it doesn't need to be competitive because we're all in it together. And this is, you know, the lovely this lovely camaraderie that we have within the hospitality industry, especially down here, you know. Yeah, and it's also it's also about you know different people who have different um, requirements. You know, they may have young kids, and yeah, they maybe don't feel comfortable sitting in uh, you know a, a, a two three Michelin star restaurant. Yeah. Whereas somewhere that's a bit more relaxed and they don't feel under pressure. You know, it, it's what suits your particular. Um, situation at that time and yeah. um, I'm glad you mentioned Nathan um, yeah. you know I, I've spoken to Nathan so many times and sent people in his direction that whenever I can I always will but I've still not eaten at one of his restaurants no, and I need to, to do that yeah yeah I need to I I, I haven't eaten at, at the at restaurant Nathan Outlaw but I've eaten at the fish kitchen a couple of times it's up there top five meals of all time for me and it is it's just brilliant i'm i'm you know working i worked for nathan um for for over a year and he, he's one of my heroes you know he easy yeah. like i wouldn't i wouldn't sort of i wouldn't be here where i am today without him but the fish kitchen is is magic tim tim can cook he's just got good people around him man good people Absolutely. around him and that but the, again it's that influence from paul ripley from Rick Stein, we wouldn't have a Nathan if it wasn't for Rick. So all of these, everyone's yeah, been influenced yeah. by everyone. You know, it's it's great, and this is what I mean about it's a genuine community. It's not a fabricated community. There is a genuine community. I hope you've left room for dessert. We've brought you a sherry glass of coconut stout from our adventure series for your final beer. This is a beer created with food matching in mind. It was originally brewed for the secret bar experience on our tasting stand at Padstow Christmas Festival. Like our connoisseurs' choice beers such as Quadruple Ale and Six Vintage Blend that preceded it, Coconut Stout has converted a good few non-beer drinkers when matched with desserts. It always surprises people how well beer matches with dessert, and how much the match transforms both the beer and the dish. So there's a question about the guest's most surprising service in this final course of chat. And as desserts can be a little bit indulgent and perhaps naughty, We'll be finding out what really grinds their gears in the kitchen and beyond to perfectly match the hint of bitterness in this beer. Plus, they'll tip us by spoon-feeding Ed a loaded question for the next guest. Spoons at the ready? Let's dive in. 
Um, cool. That was the mains, mate. On to desserts, the slightly yep. indulgent questions <laughs> um, and possibly weird questions. Yeah. Do you have a, a the, one of the weirdest or most chaotic services that springs to mind for you? Weirdest and chaotic. I think probably what seemed to be the most chaotic service for me was the first time that I ever went to, um, after Nico had said to me, look, what when I went back to work for him after working for uh, Lord Webber, mm. uh, he said to me, what is it you want to do, Alan? And I said, I, you know, I want to be um, a, a sous chef and I want to you know, work my way up and learn my trade and you know work in hospitality but i want to work with you know the best people i can mm. um and i said you know or it could be as a head chef's position and i remember nico saying to me look i let me ask a few people and then he came back quite quickly and said look i've got two guys you need to go and see them mm. and that was chris corbin and jeremy king yeah and they're just literally the ivy they'd acquired it refurbished it and it had been open a year mm. and it was struggling um which sounds amazing really now but it was struggling after that initial year and i went to meet chris corbin and sat down with him and within five minutes of talking to him i thought i want to work for this guy cool and then spent the next 16 years working with chris and jeremy yeah um absolutely amazing um, but one of the first times I ever set foot in that kitchen was they said, come along. Uh, I think Tony Howarth was the um, chef at the time. Mm. And they said, you know, come along and see see what the, you know, a busy service is like. So I went on a Saturday evening. Yeah. And I stood and I watched this service and I thought, my God, I don't want to come work here. It's a madhouse. <laughs> it's absolutely nuts. I think they did something like, I don't know, 200 for dinner, Yeah. Um, which I thought was busy. I mean, we eventually went on in years to come to do like 350, <sighs> um, 360 for, like, for, for dinner in yeah. one evening. It was just phenomenal. Yeah. But that felt like I was in the middle of a, you know, the most chaotic service I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, and then realised that that's what they wanted me to try and work and sort out. And initially I was like, oh, I'm not sure I can do this. Mm. And then obviously he went on and spent 23 years there. Yeah. And um, that was a bizarre thing that we got, we were voted in the 50 best restaurants um in the world in when the, that award first sort of started off. Yeah. And I think it was, uh, Joe Warwick who started it off, uh, along with, uh, I think it was sponsored by Perrier. Yeah. Yeah. To begin with. And we bizarrely got voted in one year. I think it was about 2008. I think we got voted. We were like number seven. Wow. In the world. It's incredible. And I went, I went to pick up the award. Yeah. And I'm standing on stage, and on one side of me, I've got Thomas Keller. Yeah. yeah. The other side of me, I've got Heston Blumenthal. Yeah. And then next to stand up on stage was Farin Adrian. I'm standing amongst these, like, cooking gods. Yeah. And I'm thinking, what the hell am I doing here? Yeah. But I, th- <laughs> I said this. I said this to Paul Ripley as well. Like, I, I, I love you guys for, for your humility. And, like, 
but like everyone's had an influence. The Ivy in itself is an institution, and you know it. You you were rightfully on that stage, and it's and it's lovely because like it the, was these being, are these vivid it, memories. I can that only have. look back now. I can only look back now and realise that. But at the time, it was that old imposter um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. syndrome. Yeah, like, man. I shouldn't really be here. You yeah. Know, it, but it was that was because it wasn't about me. And that that was the beauty of, or or is the beauty of any great restaurant. Mm. It isn't about any single person. No, it's about the team. Exactly. You know, it's about the whole of that, and that's what Chris and Jeremy taught. I think a lot of people um, within the industry that work in um, the way that you do, um, they did it so well with all the restaurants. Um, you didn't know who the chef was. Mm. You just went there because you knew you were going to get fantastic food, fantastic service, yeah, and in you know phenomenal surroundings, and that's what made it work. And yeah, and that's why it's the restaurant up there. And I, and yeah. I think I understand. I understand sort of patrons of restaurants um, and chefs because chefs are like rock stars. But all chefs will say they can't really though. Can't do it on really. You can't do it on your own, can you? <laughs> No, no, you need you need your your sous chefs and your decent CDPs. You need your decent KP. It's a team. It's a restaurant. And this this is one of the things that I miss from the hospitality trade, of yeah. that buzz. You know, we talk about oh, yeah, chaotic absolutely. services. Yeah. Um. And actually, Hank told a story of uh, a chaotic service with your lobster thermidor tart. Oh. <laughs> Right when you did that beer and food evening, yes. and we yeah. had a big table of press there, and and because I usually I'm in there, you might sort of run some plates or host a, di- a dinner, and I wasn't hosting; I was just sitting at a table. Um, and he was like going, "Oh, Ed, it was crazy, and we were supposed to fill these tarts, we were filling them on, on the pass, and this, that, and the other." Yeah. And I said, I said, and I'll be the first person to say, you know, well, yeah, it looked a bit mental, but I didn't. It was absolutely seamless, and like chaos to you guys. And, yeah. and, and you know, if I was in the service, what is seemingly chaos actually to the people sitting down enjoying themselves, they they don't know it's chaos at all. It's like you're like swans. It might be busy, but yeah, Absolutely. chaos chaos is, is a is a is a clever thing to hide. But yeah, I, yeah, I, I get it, dude. That's amazing. It is. And it's, it's, I guess it's all about perception, isn't it? And from your perception, it looks serene yeah and it's a bit like the you know the old adage about being a swan yeah all serene on top but legs kicking away oh, underneath kicking, yeah kicking like crazy uh, boy and and that's i think in my mind or maybe in you know hank's mind maybe hank's thinking jesus we need to get this stuff out you know we're gonna yeah. be like running behind and i'm thinking maybe in my mind quietly come on alan get moving <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he doesn't want to let you down, and you don't want to let no. him down, and, yeah, that, and that's the lovely thing about camaraderie. You put yourself under, isn't it? Yeah, yeah man. and it is. And yeah, we've had some great times together. And weirdly enough, that dish came up again. Mm. Um, that dish originated from uh, at the Ivy. Yeah, and I needed to. I had some lobster, and I thought to myself, oh, I haven't got the shells to put it back into. And I, I'd, I'd been. I think I'd been doing a, a thermidor, lobster thermidor. And then I spoke to my pastry chef and I said, oh, look, we've got some puff pastry and we made some pastry cases hmm. and then I put together this lobster thermidor tart. Yeah. And I put it on as a special and it sold out. Yeah. Then I put it on again as another special. I think it was like a week or so later. And someone said to me, we've got to put that on the menu, chef. It's so yeah. popular. And it went on the menu. It's on the menu for years. And then more recently, 
I went to eat at Holborn Dining Rooms and Callum used to work with me at the Ivy. Yeah. It, it was on his menu. Lovely. And I said to him, I said, oh, I said, that's a nice idea. Where did that come from? <laughs> went, oh, well, we've, we've changed it slightly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then I, more recently, um, Henk was um, lucky enough to get asked to do, I think it was a birthday last year or the year before for Tina Evans. Yeah. And um, I said, oh, I'd love to come and help. And I did the lobster thermidor tart. Yeah. And uh, Rick and Sass were eating. Yeah. And um, I think one of the organisers of the festival was yeah. sitting on the same table and Rick was given one of these thermidor tarts. And Rick's words apparently were, lobster thermidor tart? <laughs> Big lobster question mark. thermidor tart? Yeah. And then ate it and, and said they were delicious. So awesome. I was extremely happy. Well, that's a seal of approval, dude. That's a massive seal of approval. Apparently, he asked Hank for the recipe. And Hank said, it's not my recipe. You need to ask Alan. Oh, nice. <laughs> Did you share it in the end? Did you? I haven't done, but I should do, really. Um, bless him. He helped me out recently. He did a little recorded message for a, a friend of mine. It was her uh, birthday. She yeah. was like 78. And uh, he, he recorded a little message because she's a big fan. So Love it. Yeah. That's what kind. I mean about the camaraderie. And, and as you would, you know, you brought up Tina's tina's birthday and a massive shout out to tina evans so tina is the queen of padstow christmas festival what she does year in year out is incredible and the whole thing's run by volunteers and it is it's just incredible like that like padstow christmas festival is our highlight of our event season absolutely and arguably because of tina and because of rick yeah we wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation if it wasn't for what they've done absolutely and that's and and this is what i mean right from the beginning as i said these are all absolutely genuine stories and i, I absolutely. love it absolutely of course <laughs> um what's what's your beef alan what in the what in restaurants or in kitchens are your bugbears what grinds your gears mate oh, bullying bullying nice yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's a good yeah, one I've never i've never liked bullying yeah and uh, look i know that there's some great chefs out there that you know have attained or you know got a long way in their career um, by being bullies, but mm. that's not for me. I've I've never liked it. I've never, you know, stuck. I've never, you know, allowed it to happen. Yeah. Um, and I've always sort of um, stuck up against, you know, if it's been a bully, I've always stood up to them. So yeah, yeah, that's my my biggest beef. I think in kitchens, it, they need to, kitchens need to be places that are creative. Yeah, the job's hard enough as it is. Yeah, um, you don't need to be bullied or you know, physically or mentally yeah. abused. Um, and, you know, like I say, the job's hard enough as it is. So you have to make it a, a very good working environment because people spend more time with you than they do their own families yeah. up until now. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so that's my biggest that's, beef. Yeah, I completely agree with you, mate. And interestingly, because, you know, I can imagine the the world the world as a chef is is very different to, you know, I'm not not sort of going to labour on the fact that you're you're a little bit older than me. But, yeah. You know, chatting to people like Paul Ripley, that was a different time when these guys it was. when you were yeah. young, and it was it was a it's a different sort of intensity. Um, yeah. Whereas hopefully, you know, in this day and age, a kitchen is a better place to be than, than what it was. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Because I, I think, you know, and it's not to, to dwell on it, but in fact, you know, and I, I worked hard in hospitality and it's not to be a martyr or, or you know, it's more of a fact of it's a very, very hard industry to work in. You do a yeah. lot of hours. Absolutely. And, and sometimes people don't realise that. So, yeah, no. and I think the best, the best analogy is you spend more time during service than you do with your family and so yeah to be in a good yeah. place a place where you want to be is is a is a yeah it's a good thing to do it is important because it's all about if you're trying to build a team um you know you've got to work together and you've got to spend a lot of time together and if you're abusing people all that's doing is uh, you know having a negative effect not just on that individual but everyone else yeah within your team yeah bad energy we, you don't need it because you're working hard yeah. enough you're very right mate um what about guilty pleasures alan guilty pleasure food what's your guilty pleasure guilty pleasure food um oh, i think i've got far too many um <laughs> you can reel them <laughs> off mate you can do a list if you like <laughs> oh dear um well, like I said, I had a, a, a scone earlier. I had a, a, a scone for ages. Nice. And um, to have that with um, clotted cream, yeah, um, was just amazing. Um, I just like my. I'd say my guilty pleasure is having um, fish and chips from my local fish and chip shop. Yeah. Um, and it might be that I don't know. Sometimes they might have skate. Yeah. Um, and skate is not really that much of a popular fishing when it comes to a fish and chip shop yeah so i might have skate and chips nice um and unfortunately because um of you know things like the marine stewardship council trying to make sure that you know certain fish are not overfished mm. and things like that it's becoming less and less prevalent yeah um to be able to get hold of things like skate yeah um i quite enjoy rock eel yeah um so rock hill um is another sort of guilty pleasure i might have um, rock hill and chips um usually the last result is cod <laughs> yeah well it's interesting yeah. isn't it yeah because yeah. um especially you know obviously you, you know your fish because i'm a big fan of ray wing big fan of skate yeah um, haven't absolutely. tried rocky all before um, no i oh, should do yeah. rock salmon is another name for it okay yeah um, yeah yeah, and but rock rock eel or rock salmon, it's a catfish. Yeah. Um, the 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 flesh on it is very dense. Yeah. Um, I think we used to have it on the menu at Scotts. Yeah. Um, occasionally we used to have it on the menu at Sheikies as well. Yeah. Um, and it's just a it's a great fish. It's a bit like you know years ago, um, I think before Rick sort of brought it to everyone's attention, monkfish. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's a very meaty fish isn't it and yeah. very um you know delicious, delicious and, the more, and, and the more popular it gets the more expensive it gets and that's that's the irony you know because i i yeah. love i love mackerel like fresh mackerel is probably my favorite yeah. fish and that's Absolutely. gradually getting more expensive um yeah whether right or wrong but you know monkfish now in you know my grandparents days that was the cheapest cut and that was what was used in scampi and yeah, the irony absolutely. is now it's well, no, 23 24 pound a kilo it's um yeah unreal um, I love monkfish cheeks. Yes. Delicious. Oh, gorgeous. Um, <laughs> right, favourite beer of all time, Alan? Big question. Oh, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. It's not a loaded so, question, mate. Any, no, any but, beer. Oh, your favourite beer of all time. Favourite beer of all time. Oh, 
I think I've gone through so many different phases of over the years of trying different beers and being in different parts of the world. Yeah. And, you know, the first time, I, I think a lot of influence on that decision has to be the time, the place, the environment, yeah. um, the moment. Yeah. Um, you know, for instance, I've been on holiday, you know, various times, been lucky enough to go to uh, uh, Barbados yes. and um, sat on the beach after going to Baxter's Road. With the banks. Sure, yeah, yeah, with man. the banks, watching the sun come up after going out to nightclubs there. Yeah. With uh, some chef friends of mine. Yeah. Um, Craig, who is the sous chef at the Cliff, uh, Craig Shepherd. Yeah. Um, went out on a bit of a jolly with him. And uh, Marco is the head chef of um, Daphne's in Barbados. Yeah. Um, those guys took me out, you know, showed me a good time. And like I say, ended up at Baxter's Road um, and then had a bit of a fish fry and sat on the beach literally watching the sun come up Yeah, um, with a Banks beer. And that tastes like the best beer in the world. And exactly. Then other times, you know, I've been on holiday and yeah, been laying on the beach sunbathing and dreaming of that first beer that you can have when you come off the beach. Yeah. And that first pint of ice cold lager or whatever it is you yeah. drink it, it tastes like the best beer you've ever had and yes it, it's again it's all about the time the place and the occasion and how much you've looked forward to it and in terms of um uh i think really good quality lagers mm. when they're served chilled um and in the right sort of glass as well it could be something like a, a san miguel yeah you, know, you just have like a, a Ice cold pint of San Miguel. Um, equally, years before that, it might have been a pint of Foster's. Yeah. Um, or before that, it may have been um, something like a Beck's. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I love German beer as well. Yeah. Um, Belgian beers. Um, so many d different beers to choose from. It's hard for me to. I just think it's the. If you can have a beer, what's the beer? Um, that gets served in a frozen glass and it has that slight coriander flavour to it. Uh, the wheat beer? Yes. Who Garden? Who Garden, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that, is, that can be really refreshing. Yeah. But I wouldn't want to drink too many of them. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd love to have one of those ice cold in a nice glass. It's a beautiful uh, um, beer, Who Garden. That's yeah. one of my favourites of all time. But yeah, I'd have to say it would be probably like you know when I've been to Turkey and you have a, a, an Efes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but again, ice cold. Yeah. You're in the sunshine. It's in the moment. It's like when you go. I've said this so many times. You go on holiday, and say for instance, you go to Greece. Yeah. And you go and have this wonderful uh, like lunch somewhere. It's on the beach, overlooking the beach. You've got a sea breeze coming. You know, just sort of cooling you down. You're in the shade. Your grilled fish comes up. It might be sea bream. I don't know. With like some yeah. really simple like tomato salad on the side and good olive oil, and you sit there and eat, and you get a glass of beer or you get a glass of wine, and that's the best tasting beer or the best tasting wine you've ever had. Exactly. It's... And then you come home and you try to recreate that, and you buy all the same ingredients, and it doesn't taste same. No, that's because you're not looking at the sea. The <laughs> Yeah, you're not on a holiday. The, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're not That's having not to go to work the next day. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 
yeah. Cool. It's a cold beer. Yeah. A cold beer, good quality cold beer with some friends or family in the moment is always going to be the best. Exactly. And I think that's it because it's it's funny how people can interpret this question um, because, again, speaking to me, it could be uh, technically my favourite beer is this or this, that and the other. It's the ones with the best memories because they are your favourite beers. Absolutely. You know. Yeah, they are. It's all about those building and making memories Yeah. Um, that make you, you know, it might have been the first time you ever met your wife um, or girlfriend or yeah. both. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, what was you drinking at that time? It might have been you drinking champagne or, yeah. you know, but it, it's about, it's building those memories. And I think that certain things influence you. And um, we, you know, we all take on subtle uh, influences wherever we are yeah. at any particular time, as, you know, subconsciously. And they may be that, you, you know, on the way to the bar that you saw an advert or you saw someone else drinking a branded beer and you didn't look at it directly, but that may have had an influence on you. And then when you sit down or you stand at the bar or whatever and you meet someone and the barman's really engaging or there's some friends in there or someone you've never met before and you have a beer with them and that makes you feel euphoric and that all adds up to the experience. Yeah, and I think the banks analogy... it, it, again it's 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 not about clever marketing it's it's more it's about in it's in the moment and and as an island barbados it's banks or carib is the main main yeah. main beers yeah. and so you everyone will have a magical banks moment if they're on holiday in barbados it's like a lot of people Absolutely. that have come to cornwall you know come on holiday to cornwall to have that yeah. pint of doom bar or offshore in the mariners that's their magical moment in the, they course. might be beer drinkers they might not be beer drinkers but that's what makes that beer special and, and it is, it, that's cool man and that's that's you know and that's the truth as well it's lovely yeah and look i there i could probably you know reel off 15 different lagers that if i if i went to um my local supermarket yeah. i'd look for but the reality of it is one of my favorite drinking lagers at the moment is offshore it's a good and beer, that's isn't wild it, yeah, <laughs> and I can't, I can't get it from the supermarket down this way. So that's why I ordered it online. Yes, exactly. And I'll, I'll send you some whenever you like, bud. No worries. <laughs> um, cool. As we're on the digestive, the parting sort of sentiments. Um, have you got a piece of advice that you've given or you've heard that you use to this day when it comes to the industry or food um, and drink? Yeah, I guess, I guess it's yeah my. My dad, bless him. Yeah. Um, my dad um, was an engineer, mm. and uh, my dad would always say to me, "There's no such word as can't." Yeah. And yeah, whatever you come up against in life, whether it's work or whether it's you know just life itself, um, you've got to take the attitude that you can do things, and you know you've got to look further ahead than just the the most simple of solutions. Mm. Um, and I guess, you know, on, in that respect, I've always sort of taken that sort of side of things and thought, yeah, I'm going to do this. I can make this happen rather than like, oh, no, I've got the skills to do it or, I, you know, I, I can make it happen. Yeah. Whether it's I'm using someone else and their ability to make it happen, but at the same time, I want to learn from them. And I think that's probably the second um, sort of piece, piece of advice is you know try and learn something new yeah every day 
and whether it be you know whether it's cooking um or whether it's a a piece of information if i forget someone made uh, you know made a quote out of it and i said if you don't learn something new every day um at least one thing um then it's a wasted day yeah and i'm very much of that thought you know you, you there's so much you can try and learn and read about and watch you know youtube videos and all kinds of stuff and it's tutorials and whether that's just food related or drinks related but just everything in general you know before i started doing this with you i'm renovating a a, a lamp yeah. um like a, a vintage lamp and i'm looking at this uh, bulb holder and i'm thinking how did that come apart and then my friend's electrician and i'm messaging him and saying mate i've got to get this apart how do i do it he said oh you just need to do this do yeah yeah Every day's a school day, dude. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So learn, you know, go and, you know, it's that quest for new information and quest to do new things is what it's all about. Awesome. Um, That's what we're here to do. Yeah, man. I love it. I love it. And so this is a, this, this sort of the last section is, is something that sort of seems to have developed over time. So John, John Walton was talking about Chris McClurg at number six and then Chris was talking about Paul. So per episode, I'm sort of trying to get a question from the previous yep. episode to the following yep. episode. And so the previous episode was James Nappett from Kitchen Table yep. and Bubble Dogs. Um, yep. And James's question for you, Mr. Bird, was... Oh, really? Yeah. In your many year at the Ivy, because when I say, like, chef for the stars, the who's who pretty much in the world ate at the Ivy. Yes. Was there anyone... Because, again, back to the Ivy, you have to be peak professionalism. You, ha you have to be swans. And you also, you don't have to be, because people go there to escape. Is there yes. anyone where you got, you know, not necessarily starstruck, because I can't imagine you are, but is there anyone said, Look, I, I'm breaking the rules here, and you lose your composure and say, I really want an autograph, or I want your picture taken with there. Is there anyone that you were close to, or did you break the rules when you're at the Ivy of of speaking to a celebrity that you possibly shouldn't have? Um, oh, dear, that's a tricky one. Without that getting in trouble, obviously, mate. I mean, no, there's, there is... I was lucky in the respect that um, the restaurant manager um, was a guy called Mitchell Everard, and sadly, Mitchell passed away a few years ago. Oh, dear. Um, he, he had a fall at home and um, literally... Two years ago, he passed away. Mm. But Mitchell was one of these guys that he influenced everyone on the floor and including me in the kitchen. And he was one of these guys. He was a larger-than-life character. Yeah. And what Mitchell used to do was he was very good, like Chris and Jeremy were, at putting together the right people Yeah. and sort of making connections with people and realising that, that person needed to meet that person because of what they did in their work, what they did in their career. Uh, and one time, um, or many times actually, Mitchell um, sort of would take me up into the, the restaurant and say, um, there's someone here who wants to um, ask you a question. And mm. I think, oh, Christ, it's going to be a complaint, isn't it? That's why he's taking me upstairs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'd get taken up into the restaurant and it might be, you know, just a everyday member of the public. Yeah. Uh, but then one time one of the waiters come down and said, 
oh, there's a gentleman upstairs. Um, Mitchell's asked if you can come and speak to him because he wants to ask you a question. And, you know, I'm in the middle of a 200, 300 evening, you know, covers yeah. uh, service. And I'm thinking, will you just cough? <laughs> I've got enough. I've got enough to do as it is. Yeah. And so I, I changed my apron. I put my chef's toque on, um, you know, clean chef's toque on, yeah. full hat, walk upstairs to the restaurant, following the waiter and the waiter's sort of not saying a word and I'm thinking I'm going to get a bollock in. yeah I'm get it's a trouble in. isn't it it's, it's going to be trouble yeah and I walk over to the table and it's Pierce Brosnan with his wife-to-be and I'm standing there and he's going hi and I go uh, oh, it's, it's James, James Bond. Bond it's James Bond it's James Bond, <laughs> James Bond. <laughs> and I'm like um, um hi yeah <laughs> and um, wicked it's yeah, and he asked me um, if he could use uh, or if he could have the recipe to uh, wild mushroom risotto. Nice. And he said he'd been to the restaurant before and he wanted to have it for his wedding breakfast. Uh, and his wedding breakfast was in, he was getting married in Ireland. Yeah. Um, and I said, yeah, absolutely. And I just didn't know what to say. And yeah. I said, yeah, of course, that'd be a pleasure. Love it. Gave him the recipe. And then he came back um, after he'd got married and had his honeymoon and the rest of it and um, said, thank you so much. And I went up into the restaurant again. And again, I was starstruck. I didn't know what to say. And he said, um, is there anything I can do for you? <laughs> and I was like, um, and I really hadn't thought of anything like that whatsoever. Yeah. And I said, yeah, I said, my wife's a huge fan. Yeah. I said, could you sign, uh, could you give your autograph to it? So We've still got that piece of paper. Love it. It's on headed, uh, ivy-headed notepaper, and um, it's a lovely little message. It said, once again on life's luck, 006 and a half, love, Pierce. Wicked. Oh, that's cool, man. That's a <laughs> lovely story, Alan. There you go. Oh, wicked. And so my next interview um, yeah. is James's other half. So Sandia Chang, the lady that's forgotten more about champagne than I will ever know. So it was <laughs> Bubble Dogs um, was yeah. Sandia's idea. So yes. um, have you got any question that you want to ask Sandia to pay it forward, mate? Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. So should it really be, should it be champagne related? It could be, or it could be like she worked at Per Se with James. They worked at Noma. Yes. They've worked at some of the best restaurants in the world as well. They so, actually worked. They actually worked with one of my protégés um, at Per Se. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, so Daniel Calvert. Yeah. Um, he started off as an apprentice um, with me at the Ivy. Yeah. And he now has um, a one Michelin star restaurant in Hong Kong. Amazing. Uh, called Bellon. And he only got his uh, Michelin star a couple of years ago. Wicked. And, yeah, he worked with uh, both of them per se. So those guys all worked together. So, oh, yeah. What I would say, what's Sandia's favourite dish that she had when she worked at per se? Cool. What was a standout dish? Yep. Okay, mate. I will definitely ask that because it's it, it's brilliant. Because actually, John Walton's was a dish from Per Se. Um, oh, really? His favourite starter of all time. But um, oh, wow. Yeah, you'll be able to hear that when when they're all released. I will ask Sandia that. No worries whatsoever. 
Alan, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you ever so much for spending Likewise, the time mate. chatting to me. No, it's um, been brilliant. Really, really appreciate it. I love hearing Great your stuff. stories. Yeah, um, no, it's nice to talk to you about them and just sort of shoot the breeze, as it were. Yeah, man. Um, and yeah, I'll look forward to catching up for a beer when we're all done out of this, mate. Thank you.